The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Talking about issues and coming up with solutions. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And welcome to the program. It is hump day already. How did we get here so quick? I have no idea. And I'll tell you who else has no idea. Joe Biden. And there he is. They want him to do a cognitive test. Now, I don't know what the rule is when it comes to driving in America or over in the UK. I can tell you that here in Australia, after you get to a certain age, and I think it's your 60s or 70s, you are required to have regular tests to make sure that you're still able to drive a motor vehicle. And it's definitely well into your, you know, probably your late 60s, definitely your 70s. Here's Joe Biden in his 80s, and he won't take a cognitive test. This is the guy who leads the largest and most powerful Western nation. Uh, some would have you believe the most powerful nation in the world. Uh, I think that time has come and gone. I think that that ship has sailed. And this man is flat out refusing or his minders are refusing on his behalf because he would fail dismally any kind of cognitive test. And there's, you know, his press secretary saying he's sharp. He's sharp. And you can trust me on this. Wow. Well, <laughs> well, she's not too sharp herself, but I mean, to uh, have anybody believe that this guy is not cognitively impaired, when we all know he is, it's pretty darned obvious unless you are less cognitive than him. And I dare say that would be a, a quite the task. But uh, certainly, uh, you know, Biden, you need to go. You absolutely need to go. But don't go yet because we want you to be the guy that's going up against Trump because, uh, you know, it just makes his job all that much easier. Nobody wants a demented old fool running their country, <clears throat> but there are plenty of others, and you're not the only one, Joe Biden. Now, <clears throat> Russia, he is saying Joe Biden, by way of probably Barack Obama, his puppet master, is telling people that if this funding bill isn't uh, approved, that Russia, despite the fact that Putin categor categorically stated that Tucker Carlson, you know, he doesn't want this war. He has absolutely uh, no intention of expanding into other countries. They're quite happy with what they've got. They just want to fight this particular war, and they'd be happy to stop that too. Boris Johnson. Uh, of course, apparently uh, was the architect of having a deal that was all ready to go ahead that would have ended this war 18 months ago. And he jumped all over that, encouraging, encouraging them not to sign that. And there he was in damage control and um, you know, on social media saying that was a load of cods wallop and that Vladimir Putin made all of that up. And you should have read the comments, most of whom were British citizens who said, Boris, we don't believe you, we'll trust him over you. Uh, talk about, you know, not reading the room and having no clue. But here we are with Biden uh, suggesting that if you don't fund the Ukraine, uh, Putin, who categorically denied that he has any interest expanding, uh, Russia will be into other countries. And of course, that would lead to World War Three. We've seen, we've heard Vladimir Putin. We know he's a very level-headed individual. I would trust him over a Joe Biden or an Anthony Albanese any day of the week. And uh, certainly far more intelligent, far more uh, better educated than, than his uh, 
compatriots elsewhere, but uh, just nasty. I mean, this bill is absolutely crazy, and it's led to all sorts of other things, that bill, uh, including an impeachment for the first time in over 150 years, a potential impeachment of the, I think, the Secretary of Homeland Security. It's just, you can't make this stuff up. And it, they tried it back in last month, I think it was, or earlier this month on the 6th. And then what they did, uh, one guy was away getting cancer treatment. Three people uh, who were allegedly Republicans, you know, uh, you know, or they called Republicans, obviously not, didn't agree with this uh, particular impeachment. So they basically uh, abstained from voting or crossed the floor. They got their act together. This other guy came back. They got it in by one vote to impeach. Uh, but the problem is the Democrats will be running that show. Because they don't, you know, they're they're not in the uh, in the only. Sorry, I'll start again. The Republicans, upper house, Democrats, lower house. This is going to be decided in the lower house. It's just going to not happen. So it's all for show, but it, it at least shows that people are very unhappy with what's going on with this funding bill. People are very unhappy with what's going on at, down at the border in America. It's just an absolute basket case. Biden, 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 lies, lies, lies. And of course, they just want the money. And here's the other thing. You can fund Ukraine to the back teeth. You can do all that. And you know what? Who's going to use these weapons? Where's the money going to go? The corruption would be rampant over there at the moment. Uh, they've killed a significant I mean, absolutely significant amount of the few people, males of fighting age who remain They're They're now resorting to dragging, you know, kids and their, you know, 16 year old uh, males and their dad walking down the street to go and fight. The rest of them have either already died or have been injured or have left the country um, or are in hiding. And why wouldn't you? Because if you don't want to fight an enemy, if you don't consider the Russians to be an enemy, A, why would you fight them? And B, why would you put your life on the line for a puppet such as Vladimir Zelensky, a guy obviously controlled by the US, by the CIA, a plant, if you will. And a guy, if you ever get a chance, type in the Vladimir Zelensky dance video, and it'll give you an idea as to how serious uh, an individual this guy is. Uh, be prepared for something that you might possibly see uh, if you like to go down to the Mardi Gras. It's, it's very much in line with that. It's um, it's rather amusing and you can't make this stuff up. It, is, it appears very authentic and I've yet to have anybody tell me that particular video is not authentic. Uh, just very quickly as well, the other thing that uh, was a story in the ABC today is people are like never before getting their kids out of public schools and putting them into private schools, uh, particularly Catholic schools, because they are the, the less expensive of, of the private schools, uh, stating that they've got, uh, you know, a, little, a slightly different curriculum. Not really, not so much as I would like to think. My son goes to a Catholic school. I mean, yes, they have to do religion as part of their HSC, apparently, according to my son anyway. Um, but the simple fact is uh, they're doing it because the schools are better funded. The government's saying that we'll correct that, uh, obviously going to borrow some more money to go and do that. But it's very sad that uh, parents have to take their kids out of public schools and that public schools aren't doing the job that we expect. But um, that is the way things are at the moment. Plenty of money to go send overseas to fight wars, and uh, but no money for your kids, no money for their education, and certainly no money for healthcare. It is an absolute mess. And it's because these idiots that get to the ballot box keep voting in this duopoly. And they're going to run this joint into the ground. Now, are you enjoying what watching or listening to TNT? Do you think that we're doing a good job? Well, then please let us know. Uh, why not leave us a like or a positive review or a comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter, and help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here at TNT. Delivering the facts. Source I can trust. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. TNT. 
Yes, and it is at this time that we cross to the wonderful Gemma Cooper. Hey, Gemma, how are you going? Yeah, good. I mean, let's have some fun on a on a hump day, shall we? Because <laughs> I have seen that that Zelensky dance video, uh, and once you've seen it, it's one of those things you can't unsee it. You know, it's just I watched it. I thought this is this is going to be a joke. This has to be a fake video. But as you've said, no one's no one's called it out as, as being a fake. It's, it's, so far, it's authentic, but it is absolutely. It is. It, I just laughed. It was brilliant. If you want a laugh on Wednesday, check it out. Check out that Zelensky dance video. It's just absolutely brilliant in terms of comedy value. It really is. Except I mean, it's not yeah. funny. It's not really funny, is it? Because look, he's a leader of a country. But you know, it is. It is. It's worth a watch. Worth a I, watch. I dare say he doesn't think it's funny anymore. And the funny thing was, he wasn't doing it as a his take. I mean, I, I think. I mean. I know he did some dabbled in comedy and was some sort of entertainer back in his early days, worked in the media and whatnot. But I mean, I, I mean, I just, I mean, who would go and do that particular video? It had a very, uh, you've got to watch it. Yeah, I, I cannot even explain it. Just people, please Google, go to YouTube, type in Vladimir Zelensky dance video and watch it and make up your own mind. I think it's the best you could ask anyone to do. Yeah. And it's interesting, actually, just on a, a more kind of serious point is like, you know, people go into entertainment and showbiz and we talk about, you know, Hollywood quite a lot. You and I and the Marvel films and Disney and all that stuff. But, you know, you, you have to have a particular kind of ego, a kind of narcissistic edge, I think, to really want to make it in showbiz and and, and be adored. You know, and people go into that business because they want validation. Uh, and, and you know, there's a very fine line, isn't there, between showbiz and politics. And it's kind of like couldn't succeed in one arena. We'll just move across to the other arena, you know, where all eyes are on are on you on the world stage rather than a kind of performing stage um, and it shows that kind of narcissistic uh, you could argue sociopathic element that maybe politicians have to have to you know make them make the decisions that they make without that kind of bit of empathy compassion or realization of the human cost to the to the decisions that they make so I, I'm always you know not surprised when you see somebody who's you know from showbiz goes into politics or you know exits politics and tries to go into some kind of you know showbiz role or or, or world stage role look at johnson you know he's not the pm anymore but he's certainly commenting he's got columns everywhere in the uk press you know they can't let go of the attention i think that's 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 what's really driving them did you like boris johnson's um fire control uh response to the uh putin interview well, he basically said everything Putin said is a lie. Everything I say is true. You know, he just, he just really, <laughs> that was it over the weekend. He's like, oh, you can't believe a word that man says. He's a complete liar. He does want World War Three. I thought the only people talking about World War Three are the West. You know, that's all the headlines I'm seeing in the UK. We're going to be at war with Russia soon. You know, they're really priming us for it. Um, and he's saying, no, we're not, we don't want, we don't want war. As you rightly say, he just wants to sort this bit out in Ukraine. That's what he's saying. Basically, Boris has called him a liar. Boris Johnson calling someone a liar. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's <laughs> the know? pot calling Talk the kettle black, that one, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so I read that and I, you know, you take it with a pinch of salt, don't you? What politicians say now after their antics over the last four years, you're like, basically, the, it's the opposite, isn't it? Whatever they say in yes. the West, flip it on its head. That's the real truth. Yeah, and anything that makes sense, they'll go do the exact opposite. Anything we used to advocate for, anything that was part of what we used to refer to as common sense, I think they've just got it, flipped everything upside down. If we can apply that, if we can sell that as something because we've got some sort of backstory or sob story and pretend we're going to help some kind of minority group or whatever, if they can sell that to us, what a terrific way to get a, a, a functional nation and just flush it down the toilet, the economy, um, the way of life, the division. I mean, that's exactly what they've done. They've obviously got a, a, a room full of people of global puppeteers, if you will, who have decided to go and roll out this this just ludicrous stuff 
en masse to us. But I, I just love that we're starting to stand up. We're waking up. The farmers are bloody well waking up over there. And how good is it that the UK farmers are now part of what's, what happened and started in Germany? Yeah, they've been and they've directly said they've directly said that they saw what happened in Europe and they thought, right, we're going to do it, too. And, you know, the British, it does take a lot for us here in the UK to take to the streets and farmers generally, you know, quite conservative stock, a lot of them, um, you know, and, and they they have got busy lives. Farming is a hard job. Um, but, yeah, like at the end of last week, they all talked to, took to the port of Dover uh, against cheap imports. I covered a story here yesterday on the Freeman Report with James Freeman about sheep farmers. Um, the price of wool now is so low, they're not getting any returns. So instead of sending their fleeces off, the wool fleeces off to the British Wool Board to be sold as luxury products you know british wool is a luxury product but they're just not getting the returns so instead of sending the fleeces away they're now taking to burning them as a form of protest um, and they're encouraging it started as a grassroots movement but they're encouraging all the all the wool farmers to do the same just burn the fleeces that could be the end of the british wool industry um but they, they've had enough they've had enough and i just do think it is indicative of people standing up to the system and that the farming story is going to be covered again today on the freeman report with james freeman he's got an mep on who was in uh, uh brussels uh I think it's last week now uh, when all the farmers, you know, descended um, to, to protest against the EU summit. So she, she's going to kind of give us her take on, on what the feeling was, you know, from the ground. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's brilliant, the standing up to the system. But unfortunately, I got a story this morning that just shows what illustrates what you were just saying about, you know, taking a fully functioning nation and flushing it down the toilet. Um, and it's the story that we talk about so much, but it is immigration once again, uh, I'm afraid to bring to the table. But there's a, a story out this morning here in the UK that the government, our government, the Home Office, has uh, bought up effectively uh, nearly 20,000 properties, rental properties, uh, to put asylum seekers in, in an attempt to get them out of these huge hotels that they've been put in uh, by Rishi Sunak, ho hotels all over the country. Um, Rishi Sunak has pledged to take asylum out of hotels because it's costing the taxpayer up to £8 million a day. Eight million pounds a day to keep asylum seekers into hotels. The average cost for a hotel for an asylum seeker is 150 pound a day. If you put them in a rental property, it's about 30 pound a day. Trouble, of course, is that these rental properties are in the private market and the social housing sector. Um, they're going to house 58,000 asylum seekers. Uh, people are saying in the UK this morning, well, that's stopping young families and young workers, uh, British nationals, uh, having access to rental, cheaper rental properties, and it's pricing them out of the market. They've got nowhere to go. They can't get a foothold. Um, where, where, where do British people go? Um, but they, they're saying we have to do this. The government has to do this. Rishi Sunak has pledged to, to stop this huge drain of taxpayers' money, £8 million a day to put asylum seekers into hotels. Um, so a lot of Home Office insiders have leaked this today. They're not happy about it. They said, yes, it is cheaper. It's a lot cheaper, but it doesn't mean it's popular because what, pe what the government's doing is uh, – buying up rental in cheap areas to keep the cost down. So for places like Bradford, Teesside and Hull in the north of England, but it creates ghettos because all of these asylums go into cheap rental in one place and that doesn't do well for integration. And also you could buy a house in those areas trying to get on the property ladder and suddenly find you're next door to a house full of asylum seekers. Not everybody wants that. Some people won't mind, but some people will. So it's controversial plans. It's shifting the problem, effectively shifting the problem. Um, you know, it is cheaper. It's not popular, but it's what's going on in the UK with immigration, which is a massive election issue. That's what's going on this morning. It's very sad. And all it would take to fix this problem is a simple no. You can't come here anymore. 
If you do, we're going to put you on a plane. We're going to take you straight back to wherever it is you came from. And how long is it, you know, since anybody's ever advocated for that? We can't do that. Of course we can, and we should. We should have advocated for it a long, long time ago. And until we wake up, this nightmare is going to get worse and worse, and it's just going to be an absolute basket case for our kids and our grandkids moving forward. Anyone that can't see the writing on that particular wall must be blind, I would feel. Gemma Cooper. Thank you very, very much. Of course, you'll be back next hour with Sonia Paulden, and I'm looking forward to having our chat again tomorrow here at TNT. TNT's Misty Winston. She says, how is anyone still talking about October 7th? What Israel has done since October 7th is many times worse than what happened on that day by any conceivable metric. The only way to feel otherwise is to believe Israeli lives are worth many times more than Palestinian lives. How is Israeli suffering still being centered over vastly less significant acts of violence three months ago while ex exponentially worse violence and suffering is being inflicted by Israelis right this very moment? If your nation is attacked and you respond to that attack by immediately murdering thousands of children with incredible savagery, then you forfeit any right to expect anyone to give a shit that your nation was attacked. Israel responded to the Hamas attack by doing something much, much worse than anything Hamas has ever done, and in doing so, completely delegitimizing itself as a state and completely validating everything the Palestinian resistance has been saying about the state of Israel since day one. Misty Winston on today's News Talk TNT. When I had my heart event close to four years ago, I was at the gym, thought I deserve a coffee, and thought I'll top up with fuel ordered a coffee but while I was pumping fuel I started to get chest pains then it got worse and worse and worse so then I was leaning on the counter thinking yeah something's not quite right so then I went to wait for the coffee and that's when it really really hit and Joy just you know mouthed do you need an ambulance and I remember nodding I wasn't even thinking about a heart attack I just thought something is seriously wrong with me here so when the cardiologist came to see me she informed me that I'd had what they call a widowmaker heart attack bit of a shock when someone says, you know, you nearly died. <laughs> Everybody should be aware of all the symptoms of a heart attack that women can have that aren't typical of the shoulder pain, the right arm pain. I go to the gym, I do yoga, Pilates, I swim, I go on bike rides, and yet I still had a heart attack. You just don't know it could be you. Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to the program. My next guest, you would know if you are a regular to my particular program, she's absolutely wonderful. Her name is Kirsten Murphy. She's a New Zealand lawyer, a writer, an advocate for justice, a principal of KM Law. Uh, also, after gradu graduating from the University of Auckland in 1999, she gained her formative experience as a barrister and solicitor at two of the top tier law firms in Auckland. Recently, she's publicly raised her concerns and about these proposed amendments on the International Health Regulations 2005 and the WHO pandemic treaty, something that I know has a lot of us quite worried. Uh, it's going to transfer powers over health policy to unelected and unaccountable bodies in Geneva. And we've got Kirsten Murphy to tell you the latest update on that and it gets worse and worse, doesn't it, Kirsten? Hi, Dean. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, th th thank you. I'll, I'm, oh, you know, I completely forgot. I have not got anything for the wife yet. We're You're going in to trouble. This, <laughs> no, I have circus tickets, though. I'm going to say that 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 was the present and get some flowers on the way. Thank you for that timely reminder, <laughs> by the way. And, and happy Valentine's Day to you thank as you. well. Um, now, what they've got and done, they've moved the uh, the goalposts again, haven't they, in regards to uh, this? 
Yeah, so Article 55, they were supposed to produce on the 17th, sorry, the 27th, 17th of January, um, the new updated amendments, because we haven't seen those. So when all this happened back in 2022, all the state parties put in their suggestions and there was a public document released in February 2023. So that's the last time we've seen anything. The working group's been working behind closed doors now for over a year, and we're wanting to see what's happening. So in New Zealand, we've got public submissions open at the moment. They've been open for almost a month, and they close on Sunday. So I wrote an OIA, I think you call them similar over in Australia, Freedom of Information Request, and I asked for a copy of the latest version held by our Ministry of um, Health, and this is just absolutely unbelievable. The result I got was a copy of the latest WHO international regulations is withheld under the appropriate section as it would release, as its release would prejudice information entrusted to the government of New Zealand on a basis of confidence by an international organization. But they refer me to the latest public one. So they're asking New Zealanders to put in submissions based on a document that we're not allowed to have. Wow. So how is that democracy? Democracy is meant to be based on transparency and information. So I'm completely up in arms in this OIA response at the moment, and I'm taking it further. That is, it's beyond horrific. And so not only do you not know what these changes are, you don't know how many of them are. And just to give people, you know, some perspective, I think uh, background, back in what, 2022, under the 2022 amendment, there were 307 proposed amendments. Stage. Yeah, to 33 of the 66 articles of the IHR, five of the nine annexes, plus six new articles and two new annexes. Wow, I mean, it's like rewriting the rule book every time, and they could have done it again, and you and the your fellow New Zealanders know. have no clue. And so what they're expecting is for our government official to go to Geneva on the 27th of May, they may or may not have seen them. We know that the government's definitely got more information than I've got, but whatever's going to be presented during that time, all the state parties are meant to vote on it. So there's going to be no due diligence, no parliamentary scrutiny. They're just going to have to pass them on the day. It's a simple majority, so 51%. Yes, we still have time after that to reject or opt out, but it doesn't seem in the spirit of what the international health regulations were put in, therefore, they go back to, I think, the 60s. Now, when it comes to the WHO pandemic treaty itself, now, that would, would that be tailored to each country or what New Zealand would get in regards to that? Is that likely to be what the rest of the world gets or will each country kind of, you know, do their own little uh, change, modification on it? No, so pretty much under the proposed ones that I've seen, <clears throat> so excuse me, I'm losing my voice, for any international treaty, and these regulations are actually a treaty, there's got to be an intention to create legal relationship. So often the, within a document, it will say the non-binding if there's not an intention to create legal relationship. So in the current ones, they actually say non-binding. So under Article 18, the existing one, that's where all the COVID response stemmed from, but we still as different nations, because they were non-binding, we could choose to follow them or choose not to. My huge concern is the words non-binding have been removed wow. from the last draft that I've seen. 
Well, I mean, that's scary. What's scarier is we've got two things happening. A, you've got a new government. You don't have Jacinda Ardern there anymore. You would hope that this government will have learned and there was a lot to learn from the last three to four years. And on top of that, because they got it so wrong, the WHO got everything, and I literally mean everything wrong. Why would any government, especially one who uh, had had no dealings with them, you know, well, certainly not not in, while they were in power, um, why would they possibly even consider any of this? It's just pure nonsense. Well, that's why I'm raising awareness because the average Joe knows nothing about it. We've got new politicians in Parliament that will probably know nothing about it as well. That's why I've written my open letters. That's why I've created a cheat sheet for the submissions to raise this awareness around it. So there's a whole lot of questions about whether it transfers sovereignty. At the very least, we are transferring our independent decision-making across to Geneva. So once again, as a good little lawyer, I wrote to Crown Law, who is paid by the taxpayer, and asked them what information they had given to the government, the previous government, about the transfer of sovereignty. They've said to me, we have identified documents that are relevant to your request, but we consider all those relevant documents are subject to legal professional privilege, which I understand in a cli private client basis, but this is our government, our crown law, and we pay both for our taxes. Then the more shocking thing, because there's quite a lot of debate at the moment about the Treaty of Waitangi in New Zealand, I've asked, what correspondence do you have that shows the impact of the IHRs on the treaty obligations? We have found no documents. So they haven't even considered the treaty, which is one of our basis of constitutional documents. So once again, I find that absolutely shocking that we're rushing into this. It is. I mean, it's just, it's beyond horrific. We do have some news headlines to get to where we've Kirsten Murphy, yeah. and um, we're going to be talking to her a bunch of other questions. And just to find out, because I would say being very much in lockstep with what happens in New Zealand, whatever's happening there will affect us here. And probably for those listening early morning over in the UK, I mean, get ready for some very similar experiences as well. Uh, we'll be back right after these short news headlines at TNT. Uh, oh, oh, here's some more potentially bad news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The US Senate has passed a foreign aid bill unlocking $95 billion in wartime funding for Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan. But the bill must now be approved by the House of Representatives. Despite being the oldest president in US history, the White House has confirmed 81-year-old Joe Biden will not take a cognitive test when he sits for his upcoming physical exam. And a powerful explosion has erupted at a key gas pipeline in central Iran. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNT Radio. Live. And welcome back, and people. As you would remember, last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February 20 and 21 at the UK High Court to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal on whether he will be extradited to the United States. Now, TNT is going to be at the Royal Courts of Justice broadcasting and covering the entire two days if required. Then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London. 
Also, the London premiere of The Trust Fall, Julian Assange, will be at Rio Cinemas on Sunday the 18th of February at 1pm. The film will be followed by a panel discussion, NQ at Q&A, with uh, Tariq Ali. That's been confirmed. Uh, Kristen uh, Harafton uh, has been confirmed. And hopefully Stella Assange will be there as well. Now, to find out more, you simply have to go to Google and search for The Trust Fall, Julian Assange, London premiere, and you'll find all of that. And, of course, TNT will be across the entire thing. We're back with Kirsten Murphy. She is the principal of KM Law and somebody over not just in New Zealand, but I would advocate, uh, I would say advocating for people around the world because anything uh, that we can accomplish in one particular country, we can possibly benefit from elsewhere. And she's fighting, putting up a good fight, but they're closing the door in everyone's face, it would seem, over there. So how do we fix this? And with these people's submissions, I mean, what do they mean uh, now that they don't know what, what it is that they're combating? Well, as you know, probably from my last interview, I ran as a candidate for New Zealand First. So I've written to my colleagues in Parliament today saying, please, can you actually ask a question on the floor? Why is this information being withheld? Because if we don't get the information before Sunday and if they don't extend the submissions, it's absolutely farcical, this whole public consultation process. Yeah, I mean, I've got to ask, I mean, how can they not, how can they possibly legally not extend that when they won't release this information? I don't, I don't understand that could possibly be allowed. I don't understand it either, but I think in the last couple of terms, the bureaucrats down in Wellington have just learned to have too much power. I don't believe it's the politicians that are actually withholding this information. They probably don't even know about it. But unelected bureaucrats are making these decisions. So it's time to hold them to account. It is. Now, what practical ways can people uh, get a result? Is there anything they, that they can do? Any New Zealanders out there uh, listening, what can they do, if anything, at the moment? So even though I think the whole public consultation is farcical, I think everyone should still put in submissions because we need to send a really strong message to Parliament that people are concerned about this, and that's a numbers game. So I've done a cheat sheet, which is up on my Twitter page and also my Facebook page and LinkedIn page, which people are welcome to copy and paste the bits that interest them, change it, use it however you I've just made it easy for people to do. Then I think also people need to make appointments with their MPs, try and get the local rag to actually cover this. So some of the community papers, well, the larger ones obviously won't. Um, but we did get the 1st of December amendment, which was the reduced time frame. We managed to get that reserved and it ended up being rejected. Um, and the mainstream media in New Zealand had to talk about it. And our new prime minister actually had to respond to a journalist and said that this wasn't a conspiracy theory. So it's just about little people like me standing up. Don't worry about what people think about you and just making a stand and educating people and just sort of taking it very much back to basics, 101 stuff, the lack of transparency, the lack of due process. We don't have any projections for the forecasting of the cost. Just keep it really, really simple. We don't need to go necessarily straight into all the things that we're really, really concerned about because we've got to get more and more people onto our side. And we win people. Well, you win flies with honey, don't you? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, again, I mean, I just can't believe that, that we have government still, but it's uh, that are doing this. But the media 
has been complicit all along. I mean, here we are today, as you reminded me, Valentine's Day, and you've got stories in some of our major news articles here in Australia advocating that, you know, Joe and Pam have been together for 60 years and how wonderful that is. But, you know, a story such as this, something that could affect everybody down the track so immensely, is just being covered up, whitewashed, if you will. And again, something that I would consider should be um, at least have part of the front page. Oh, absolutely. And within the amendments that I've seen, the whole misinformation and the social media in those next years is really scary as well, because of who now owns the narrative of science that will flow down into the international courts, because there's only one source of science, and that will be who. And then that will trickle down into our domestic courts as well, which we definitely saw in New Zealand over the mandates. Now, I've got to ask, with this treaty, in whichever form it eventually shows itself to be, um, it, would you consider it extremely likely, possibly likely or unlikely that it'll get passed uh, by the current government? Um, part of some international groups, and we believe that it probably will be passed at the World Health Assembly in May. It only requires 51%. Then we've got, depending on whether the 1st of December amendment was rejected or reserved or there was no comment at all by different nations, there's different time periods. So for New Zealand, we'll have 24 months if it comes in, um, it will come into force and we've got 18 months to reject or revoke. You've got to opt out of this. So if you don't do anything, you'll be deemed to have accepted it. So that's what happened with lots of countries around the world with the 1st of December amendment. And it'll be the same with the amendments if they're actually accepted in May this year. It's gonna trigger timeframes Okay, so let's say it goes ahead. It's accepted by the government. The people on mass don't accept it. Is there anything that the people can do to override the government in the way that New Zealand is structured? <laughs> I might get in trouble if I share those thoughts. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, in any legal way, um, yeah, may, may have been better because yeah, it just seems that you know, unfortunately, we've got these politicians that are all in global lockstep. They're going to push forward with this, and again, I'm just going to say it again. After the last three years, I would say that anybody that would advocate for the WHO and to be any part of it, I mean, they seem to be complicit in something that was, um, you know, we've got all these excess deaths, you know, we've got um, got everybody knows somebody who did very, very badly by the vaccine rollouts and whatever. And uh, here we were. And as it worked, turns out, a lot of the countries who had no response or a minimal response based on the WHO recommendations, they're the countries that did the best. And we have those numbers. We know that to be factual now. Yeah, and that's all in Article 18, which is existing, is current, and that's where we got the lockstep and all the recommendations from. So who is wanting to strengthen their position? Why? And they haven't even done a review of what worked well and what didn't. New Zealand hasn't finished an inquiry, and there's a whole lot of debate at the moment whether we continue with the Royal Commission, which is a bit of a whitewash, or whether we start a new inquiry. So we're sort of working through that at the moment. And the last time I checked, pandemics were quite rare. I think I've only been through one in my life, if that. Well, of course, you could argue if you they didn't change the definition. When was it? Back in 2009, we could argue we've never been through one. I would strongly argue that that there, there really wasn't one. I mean, I don't know a single 
person who died who wasn't, you know, over the average life expectancy, who didn't have three or more comorbidities. So mm. it was just a regular, you know, have a look at the numbers. I mean, the numbers. Well, I mean, the flu disappeared that year, didn't it? Yeah. And, and in exactly <laughs> the same numbers that this COVID thing came back. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And I remember that meme saying, show this, you know, it had all the numbers, 2017, 18, 19, 20, up to 22. And it said, show this information to a five-year-old and they'll tell you what's going on here. And they could quite easily. Exactly. It's just a shame that the media couldn't quite figure that out in real time. And even subsequently, with all the data that we now have, all the people that are in uh, not doing too well, um, they still haven't quite woken up or have their heads well and truly buried in the sand or are in the pocket of Big Pharma because they need that advertising revenue. And just quickly here in Australia, I don't know what they did in New Zealand, while that was going on, uh, most of our media outlets, as long as they played ball, were tax exempt for quite some period of time. They loved it. Yeah, we got massive payouts here, $50 million, and also all the advertising, which I found bizarre. Why were we advertise? Why were we, the taxpayer, paying for Pfizer's advertising? In a real pandemic, you wouldn't need to advertise the cure. And also that brings me to the vested interest with WHO as well. So only 16% of their funding is by assessed by state parties, and the rest is a public-private arrangement. So the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, they contribute roughly about 10%, and they can actually direct where that is spent. So you can put some money in, direct where it's spent, gets rolled out around the world. So that actually becomes a really, really good investment model. Well, I, I would suggest if Bill Gates has got anything to do with anything in your life, unless it's got a little window symbol with a shutdown button, um, you would do well to uh, steer very clear of it. Uh, Kirsten Murphy, thank you so much for coming on the, the program today. I can't believe how quick the time goes um, when you're on, but thank you for keeping us up to date. And I'd love you to come back on here and let us know what those amendments were when you do finally get the opportunity to find out what they are. And I, I dare say we're not going to be real happy about uh, we'll We'll probably be happier not knowing what they were <laughs> once we hear what they were. Kirsten Murphy, you're an absolute legend. I thank you for coming on the program. Great. Thanks, Dean. And don't forget those flowers. <laughs> I won't. Otherwise, I'll have okay. some bruises on me tomorrow. Uh, you can find uh, her on twitter.com forward slash Murfit, M-U-R-F-I-T-T, Tauranga, T-A-U-R-A-N-G-A, or just Google Kirsten Murphy. You'll find her absolutely. You'll also find Graham Hood, Hoodie of Hoodie's Heroes, right here after this commercial break. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. State propaganda media has once again outed themselves as pure partisans, just parroting the party line with their criticism of Tucker Carlson's interview of Vladimir Putin. Carlson gave a pretty hard-hitting interview called Putin out on the Wall Street Journal reporter that is in custody saying that he should be released having that conversation. But more importantly, getting Putin's perspective on the Ukraine war and why he chose to initiate it. That's called journalism. Yet none of our journalists seem to be the least bit interested in committing journalism. They're more interested in calling for Tucker to be arrested on the tarmac when his plane returns to the United States. It's absolutely disgraceful how these people claim the moral high ground when they're nothing more than moral midgets. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for today's News Talk TNT. Right now, the forgotten poor are waiting for healing and care, for life-saving medical care, 
for a chance to live with dignity and hope. They are waiting for Mercy Ships and you. Mercy Ships is the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. And now, as our newest state-of-the-art hospital ship sets sail, Mercy Ships will double our ability to reach children and adults who need us now. Without the work of Mercy Ships, these patients don't have another option. Mercy Ships is answering the call to serve suffering people who have nowhere else to turn. Together, we are going to some of the world's most desperate places and bringing a wave of hope and healing to those who need it most. To learn more about this wave of hope, go to mercyships.org today. The conversation continues, continues with Dean Mackin on today's News Talk TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program. I would have loved to have talked about what's happening down in Tasmania. What a basket case it is there. And they'll be going to an early election for reasons I'll probably talk about tomorrow. Um, and good thing that we spoke to Kirsten Murphy because I had literally forgotten it was Valentine's Day. I'm about to talk to Graham Hood and I would have needed John Larder to uh, give me some emergency medical treatment had I forgotten to get some flowers, which I'll be doing straight after I finish talking to uh, Graham Hood. Now, Graham Hood, you uh, all know who he is. He's the Qantas pilot employed for 32 years. He's flown over 36,000 hours over a 53-year career, and he's the guy that advocated for you, for your health, and he's just an absolute legend. I don't need to you give him a big fanfare. He's very humble, and you all know who he is anyway. Graham Hood, welcome to the program again, mate. You're doing good to hear you, mate. Mate, thanks for, thanks for coming on. Mate, where do you want to start today? Because, mate, the last three years have left people, you know, very distrustful just in general uh, of the media, of, of politics, um, mate. And, you know, it's a, just, it's a basket case. Thank God, you know, we've got people such as yourself who are out there and regularly, you know, uh, try, trying to put a patch, a Band-Aid on a lot of the damage that's been done over the last three years. Yeah, what was astounding for me, uh, Dean, was, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't like to promote anything that the ABC puts out, but they recently did a three-part documentary series called Nemesis where they talked about the leadership crisis that went on for nine years with the Liberal Party with Turnbull, Abbott and uh, Morrison. And I found it quite interesting to watch, you know, you really get an idea of the, of the, um, of the skullduggery that goes on in the back room in Parliament House when you look at this sort of stuff. It's pretty disgusting. But the, the last episode was Scott Morrison's uh, tenure, uh, which was on the 12th, Monday the 12th, which was the second anniversary of the largest rally in Australian history. Now, the program unfolded over about an hour 40, and they were, they were talking about Morrison's reign in a chronological order. And they got to a, a, a piece that they said was on the 9th of February, 2022. And I thought, right, they're going to talk about the rally not a mention not a wow. mention so the whole the whole thing as i looked at it unfold i saw them interviewing daniel andrews and and mcgowan and palaszczuk all the the um, the, the uh, three stooges they interviewed them about morrison's uh, morrison's performance and they waxed on lyrical about how they'd all done a great job with the covid pandemic and then they talked about the uh, Brittany higgins rally that happened out the front of Parliament House and how big that was and everything. And that rally occupied about a third of the top half of the people's paddock in front of the new Parliament House. <laughs> but the rally yeah. on the, tw on the uh, 12th of February 2022 
filled the people's paddock right down to the old Parliament House, across the freeway, right into the sides, the biggest rally in Australian history, and it didn't even rate a mention. And that, to me, says it all. It's crazy. It reminds me of that interview that Donald Trump did, and he told, you know, the lamestream media, CNN, why don't you turn the cameras around and show everybody how many people are here and vice versa, they do it the opposite way. When, Like you said, when they've only got a few people, you know, in the front paddock, mate, they're going to zoom in on that group. They're going to tell you it was massive. And mate, it's just the media, the distrust of the media is so horrific. And we, we were talking about ScoMo and I mean, not just the complete mismanagement of uh, of COVID, not just him taking on all those cabinet positions, but of course he waited his 18 months because, you know, you can't uh, deal with anybody that you've had dealings with and could profit from in future until 18 months. And there he is now with the military industrial complex. He's going to make an absolute mozza, this man. I mean, wow, there should be some sort of investigation. Of course he is, but there will be no investigation because there's no media impetus to drive it. And, and after watching that program, I just sat there almost in tears because I thought, a huge chunk of the Australian population, everyday people who were against mandates, against border closures, against lockdowns, the whole lot of them have been completely cancelled by the Australian media and by the Australian government. They have been completely cancelled. It's like they don't exist. And this has been going on for too long now. You know, what's it going to take for these people to, to uh, turn around and speak the truth about what's happening? Uh, you know, we, we're putting out some fantastic interviews. You guys are putting out fantastic interviews. We're, we're seeking truth wherever we can. We want to get out of the echo chamber, and that means that the mainstream media has got to be put in its place. And, and uh, it, it's caused a great deal of distrust amongst everybody in the country on both sides of the fence, and that's what's killing us at the moment. Nobody trusts anybody. You know, if you have a disagreement with somebody on a way to approach something... You're a, you're a Freemason or controlled opposition. You know, nobody trusts anybody, Dean. And that's the pandemic that we're dealing with in this country right now, lack of trust. And, and Graham, I'd love to say it was only the mainstream media that we couldn't trust over the last three years. But, you know, many of these, you know, allegedly conservative media outlets went to water and were advocating people go and get vaccinated, weren't really covering and doing their due due. Uh, uh, work on this at all. I mean, so it was really just a total failure. If it wasn't for places like TNT and, and of course, you know, that came after, you know, towards the end of the COVID thing. But if it wasn't for people like you out there, mate, we wouldn't have had any clue what was really going on. We're just, we're just staying in our lane. Johnny Lader and I, we're staying in our lane. We're, our mission has always been keep the borders open, end the mandates, get everyone their jobs back with full compensation, protect the kids from compulsory vaccinations and we want a royal commission with teeth they're the five things that we went to battle over they're the five things we're staying with and i'm sick to death of hearing people in the media saying well what's the fuss about the covid pandemic's finished will you tell that to all the unemployed people who did that made the right decision for themselves who didn't get vaccinated and and tell them in the face of the fact that that health departments and and other organizations around the country are importing workers from overseas to take the jobs of those sitting at home who cannot and will not be employed by by uh, these organisations. It's reprehensible. Mate, I would suggest, um, you know, I, I did speak 
with um with Johnny about it last time. You know, this ambulance ramping in some places is worse than others. Uh, South Australia, we, we are on record as having people who have died waiting seven or eight hours ramped up in an in an ambulance. And I would suggest that in those states where you have doctors, nurses, paramedics who cannot return to work where anybody has died, to say nothing of people that have had strokes that couldn't get immediate um, help, you know, and are now damaged for life. Like these people should be in, in the dock on charges of, uh, of possibly, you know, I would go so far as to say murder because they are literally killing people. Uh, and they're aiding and abetting in, in, in a crime that will be investigated in the future. When? We don't know, but we know it's coming. But when, you, when you've got a situation where one of the top obstetric gynaecologist in the country, uh, Dr. Luke McClendon, who was the head of obstetrics and gynaecology at the Mater Hospital in Brisbane, put in a report to the hospital saying, I'm concerned that about 73% of my vaccinated patients are failing in their pregnancies. This is really concerning. What's he doing now as a result of that? The last I heard, he was selling sheds. Wow. He was selling he was selling sheds and I don't know whether he's back at work yet or not. I'm gonna be contacting him in a week or so. But this man is a brilliant, brilliant physician. And we need them right now because everyone's everyone's starting to say, What's going on? Why are these failed pregnancies happening? You know, all these lies that are being perpetuated throughout the media and throughout the government, the bureaucracies and the corporations. What those the perpetuation of those lies to protect criminals is what's what's causing a lack of research and proper funding and investigation to make sure that the health facilities start dealing with vaccine injured because they're denying that they exist. So while they deny that they exist to protect their own backsides, people are dying. It's it's criminal, mate. It is absolutely criminal. It literally is criminal, and I'd love to see some people, uh, you know, doing some decades behind bars. But, mate, again, you know, we've got people uh, like, you know, Senator Ralph Babbitt noticed all these excess deaths, suggested there should be an inquiry into it, and you get all the usual suspects, Labor, Greens, voting against that, you know, the Liberal Party voting for it, and people like Jackie Lambie, who I cannot stand, and Lydia Thorpe in the same basket as her, uh, again, voting voting against it. I mean, how would anybody, why would anybody possibly vote against an inquiry into why more people are dying than have ever died before? You know why, Dean. They're protecting their asses. That's exactly what they're doing. Jackie Lambie... Remember her comments on the TV that, you know, we're coming after you. You, We're going to lock you up in a ring of steel. You know, yeah. get, you know, eat some concrete, get some, get some backbone, get some courage, do this for your country. She really put it on the line and now she knows she's got egg on her face. I believe she contacted um, uh, a beautiful young lady who's vaccine injured down in, in Tasmania um, and Faith Ransom and she contacted her to ask if it would be all right if she had a photo taken with one of the vaccine-injured women. Wow. Could I have a Mate, photo just, taken with you to put on my webpage? How could you ever look that woman in the face if you were to run into her again? Mate, just horrific. I, I made a terrific joke at the expense of Jackie Lambie when I was on Clive's 
spoke when I was a, a UAP candidate, and uh, I think everyone was impressed by the joke, probably not Clive, because, I mean, she did start off with the UAP, believe it or not, and why anybody would ever, ever, I mean, the first time I ever heard Jackie Lambie speak, I thought, not somebody, uh, and what, what she said, I would never, ever have had her as a candidate, and, mate, she's shown her true colours, she really has, she goes whichever way the wind blows, or whoever's going to chuck her a better deal um, for her to get her ways, and just a lost soul, I, I would suggest. Lydia Thorpe isn't even worth talking about, on the other hand. Storming into, storming into Parliament with her fist held high, uh, you know, the strong woman of, of Australia and the Indigenous people, storming into Parliament, where's her fist now? She's sitting on it. That's where it is. She's sitting on it. It's just a disgrace. She should be out there. Her people are suffering as well. Her people are suffering. Our people are suffering. We're all one country, and everybody in this in this country is perplexed about what's going on, and still people stick their head in the sand because, I'll tell you what, Dean, journalism is extinct. Journalism is gone. And then you've got Tucker Carlson interviewing Vladimir Putin, and there's a huge cry to have him locked up for treason. I mean, what is that about? Real journalism, you've got Julian Assange, 14 years. They're, they're systematically trying to kill him. 14 years locked up for telling the truth. That's why journalism is dead, because nobody's got the backbone to stand up and face uh, what's happening because of what's happened to Julian Assange. It's just a disgrace. There is no moral authority on this planet while ever Julian Assange remains locked up. Nobody on this planet has any moral authority. I, I could not agree more. We really hope that uh, on the 21st and the 22nd, you know, what happens over there, I hope, I pray that he is not extradited to the United States. Mate, this absolute puppet show, it just goes on and on. Uh, I was talking to a woman, a lawyer over in New Zealand, Kirsten Murphy, uh, who is there waiting, who put in the equivalent of our Freedom of Information Act to find out what the WHO has in store for New Zealand and uh, was told we can't give you that information. It's a confidential discussion between us and, and people overseas. And here we are with our politicians, those who are designed to implement our will and to keep us abreast of what's happening to our country and denying the New Zealand public that information. Dean, evil thrives when people keep secrets. And when government keeps secrets, they, they are fertilising misinformation. They are fertilising conspiracy theories because they're not telling the people the truth. So the people have to assume whatever they have to to understand what's going on because the governments are not telling the truth. And, and this, is, this is an absolute fact. Every conspiracy theory I ever contemplated has become a fact. And, and, and that's why, because the governments will not tell the people. And how they, I don't know how they can think they can perpetuate this for much longer without a massive revolt on their hands. It's just obscene. You know, they are, they are crazy if they're not looking at this for what it is. And when you look at these programs, these documentaries about all the backroom deals and the backstabbing and the leadership changes, you can see, you can see the skullduggery there for everyone to look at. It's wide open for everyone to see. And yeah, you can't, disgusting. it has to change. One thing that I love, and you drew attention to it, uh, with Tucker Carlson, you know, they would have us, you know, believe, uh, I mean, the mainstream media, they are gone, but people are turning to people such as Tucker Carlson in droves. I mean, he typically got when he was on Fox, you know, what was it, 100,000, um, you know, sorry, I'm not sure the numbers, I won't bring the numbers into it. He had hundreds and hundreds 
times the amount of people view these interviews that he has done, not just the Putin one, but of his many interviews since he has subsequently gone on to X.com. People are just turning to people such as him in droves. They're abandoning the mainstream yep. media. Of course, they talk yep. about their ratings as percentages, not numbers, because if they talked about them as percentages of, of what they used to get, it would be abysmal and they wouldn't have any advertisers whatsoever. Absolutely right, mate. The mainstream media is dead in the water. And and people like Tucker Carlson and Julian Assange maintain an integrity around journalism that keeps the truth coming out. And and uh, there's a great uh, um, docu-movie going around now. I believe it's going to go into all the event and village cinemas. It's called Trust for Julian Assange. We interviewed uh, Kim Staten the other night on our program, a wonderful young man, and this thing is going nuts in the cinemas. So this is great. I encourage everybody to go along and see it. It'll be in a cinema near you. Tell everyone to go because if a million Australians watch this, it'll change the way they see the media and the government and, and the, the global situation, which needs to happen. People have got to start waking up. Well, Graham Hood, they are because of people such as yourself and John Larder, Hoodies Heroes people. Uh, you'll find them on social media, on Telegram, on Facebook, Hoodies Heroes. They're all over the place. Just Google Graham Hood, John Larder, and you will be in very good company and company that you can trust. Mate, thanks for coming on the program today. Great to be with you, Dean. Talk soon. Bye-bye, man. All right, everybody, stick around. Sonia Poulton coming up after the break. So uh, I'm off to the circus tonight and to buy some flowers. I'll talk to you tomorrow.